0: Buckle up. Welcome to Musicians and Beyond, where we bring the backstage info on the life, lyrics, and long journeys of the music and the entertainment industry. Mark, what's going on, buddy?
1: Just another week here. Uh Everything's going well. How about you?
0: Oh, things are wonderful. Uh, Our last guest, uh, Jordan Quinn.
1: Haven't stopped laughing.
0: Oh, she was the best.
1: Absolutely. What, wonderful personality. Wonderful
0: personality. What a talent.
1: Yeah. Incredibly she, talented.
0: She's incredible. That Said was,
1: she wasn't a piano player and then had her keyboard and wowed us with everything. Yeah, yeah she,
0: I, I could have had her in here all day instead of, you know, listening to us talk.
1: Uh, I'd prefer listening to someone else other than us.
0: That's yeah. And then today, uh, episode 28, like, this is like, honest to God, this is like one in a million. And this guy, he's not short for words. <laughs> and we are going. We have some special things coming up, and we're going to talk about that. But just so the audience knows, this guy has done, when I say everything, everything. One of the most famous things he's done is he was the designer for the Rolling Stones tongue. He's designed album covers for Aerosmith. Everybody. Every, yeah, everybody. Uh,
1: Black Sabbath, Alice Cooper, Jefferson Airplane, the Rolling Stones.
0: Yeah, it, it just goes on and on. But that's not... All that he does. He does a lot of stuff. And we got some awesome stuff that we're going to announce on this show. So Cannot wait. without further ado, Great let's stories. let's get our, our new friend, Ernie Sheffalo. Ernie.
2: Hey guys, how
1: you
0: doing? Great we Ernie. How are Thank you? Absolutely wonderful.
2: Welcome to episode twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Oh wow. 28. That was always a good number for me. Good. Good. I'm glad yeah, that 28 that, was a good number. That and 13, which is you know, m- bad luck for most people, 13, but for me it's always been good. Yeah. Thank well, you for having l- me on. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, we appreciate you being on and luck has definitely been on your side throughout your career.
0: And I think it's yeah. on our side because we were able Here to get him are. on on the show, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know,
2: even even more than luck, it's timing. Timing I've, as I've gotten older, I realize that it's really that's the most important thing, more than talent, more than anything, it's timing. You know, when your time is right, then it really, it's the rest is what you make of it. Absolutely.
0: You know? Yeah. Us hooking up with you and vice versa. The timing was like perfect for both yeah. of us because yeah. we have so much to announce to the world on both sides of of
2: yeah. this podcast. Yeah. And, so and, this we're, and we're really getting some exposure. I mean, I, I was very late. I was a late bloomer to the internet I'm I'm old school. I mean, I have a flip phone. You know, people send me texts, and I don't know how to answer them. I don't even I don't even try anymore. I figure if they text me and don't call me, I don't want to talk to them anyway. So I don't bother getting right. to see who that is. But you know, uh, it's funny because I, I was really against technology. I, I I'm old school. I did everything. You know, when we were doing album covers, we were doing mechanicals. When we were doing art, we would do the mechanicals. They don't do that anymore. It's all put together on files in a computer, which is really kind of crazy. But I've I've been able to, unlike the dinosaurs that I started out with, I've been able to avoid the oil pit because I'm able to take my ideas and put them into a sketch form that I can outbeat anybody on a computer. So it's like, you remember John Henry and the, the nail driving machine yeah. when he has the, the, the feud with the the machine and it's him and, you know, it's it, 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 and it's this, and he ends up dying, which we all do, but he beats the machine and I'm, I'm kind of that same way. I can, you know, convince a client that he's going to spend less money with me doing sketches and giving them ideas faster than somebody can build it on a computer. And they build three or four things. They all look finished. And you pay for all of them, even though you only buy one. So I've been able to figure out a way to keep myself relevant. And thank you guys for helping me do that. I mean, it's it's a great honor to be on your show and, and you know, for you guys to talk about me the way you talk about me. I, I never really saw it that way. You know, I'm just another guy doing what he loved to do and never had to have a job.
1: You know, Ernie, you, you you said a couple of things there. You said, you know, timing's everything and, and staying relevant. And that kind of brings us back to when, when you say you're staying relevant, you, you began somewhere and you've yeah. worked all this, you, your entire career. Where did you begin
2: and how did this start? It's funny. Well, you can see the picture behind me over here, <laughs> over there. Uh, <laughs> I was born 77 years ago this coming April, 78 years ago. And, um, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, I love to draw. I mean, I was like when you're in elementary school and everybody draws and I became like the best drawer. And then when I went to junior high school, it became the same way, but it took time. You know, I didn't start out being the best, but you work toward that. And it was always kind of like this I mean, you hear musicians say, oh, yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I used to beat on the pans and, and I always wanted to be a drummer. And then I, you know, I, 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 I evolved that as, as I grew up. I sort of did the same thing. I, I went from drawing Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck on the Sunday paper to turning it into something that helped me get through school because I really wasn't that good at anything else. You know, I'm kind of like a savant. I'm really good at one thing, but what I do is really good. And it's taken me 52 years to, to get to that point, you know, to, to understand that when you're good, people understand it and you can do what you want to do. So I've never had to have a job. I always did what I love to do. And, you know, sure, there's been pitfalls, but I, I just kept I never you know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend the other day. I would never had any fear, never had any fear about doing what I did because I it all felt so good. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds kind of funny, but it just seemed like and then when I was I went to high school, it was the same thing. My high school, they had a a, a a class that just specialized in all the posters and things for the school play and for whoever's running for school president and stuff. And it was called Bulldog Studio. Our Bulldog was our mascot. And there was a great teacher, Mark Briggs, who was really influential. But it started in the third grade with Sister Mary Lucy. When I spent all my time in the principal's office and they called my parents in and they wanted to know, you know, what to do with me and Sister Mary Lucy, she was about 300 years old then. And she (laughs) said to my parents in front of the principal, what you have here is someone that's going to be really, really good in art. You should really help him and really, you know, move him forward. That happened again with Mark Briggs in high school. He took me to one side and said, "Okay, you know, I'm gonna, you're gonna be part of Bulldog Studio, but you have more to offer." And that kind of thing has happened through my whole career. My whole career when I when I did things that were, in my opinion, the best thing I'd ever done, and I end up losing my job <laughs> <You> know, because, <laughs> because the guy that I worked for said, "You know, I can see right now you're going to be very complacent. You'll compromise your creativity for a paycheck." And I'm, you know, what you just did for me, won all these awards and stuff, but that's the best thing I have all year. And if I kept you on and gave you little stuff to do, you would be happy enough to stay there and do it. And you need to be beyond that. So things like that have happened to me through my whole career. And we're going to be talking about in upcoming series and episodes, but it's really funny how, you know, that's how it started. It started following a dream and, and even though there were some doubts along the way, I was never fearful of doing it. And that's kind of where it you know, got me today. Still don't have any fear. Maybe I'm stupid. You know, I don't
1: know. <laughs> we talked a little bit before we got on, started recording, and the pictures behind you say a lot, uh, and you add so much more to it. How old were you in the picture when you're with the, the mayor of San Pablo there? Okay, yeah,
2: that that happened in my junior year of college. And I had decided, like I had said, the school that I went to was an art school, very small, California College of Arts and Crafts, and there were 125 students full time. Most of them uh, lived in Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, and we were in Oakland. And so it, it was the kind of school that exposed you to all different kinds of art. You know, one semester I wanted to be a jeweler. Then I took a ceramics class and I changed my major to be a ceramicist. Then I took a fine art class and I changed it to be a fine artist. And so by my junior year, freshman, sophomore, junior, by my third year of college, I realized that I'm not going to be able to make any money as a fine artist. Okay, I'm at best mediocre. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to be a jeweler. I'm not going to be able to be any of these things. What how do I look? I mean, my parents are putting me through college you know, I got to come up with something that's going to be able to give them some money back or give it at least pride in what I've done and what they've spent money on. And um, so I decided that advertising was going to be the way to go. Okay. Even though it was like, Taboo in the school that I went to, unlike Art Center in Los Angeles, where everybody goes there to either be a car designer or work in an ad agency. That's what they do. They have other classes for our fine artists or something like that. But it wasn't as heavily focused on as the school that I went to. So um, I realized, like I said, at that point that I needed to make some money. And I there was this contest. So I, I changed my major to design. <laughs> and advertising and there was this contest that the city of san pablo i'll get over here the city of san pablo uh put out to pretty much everybody uh to design the logo for the city of san pablo and there were two thousand entries and i entered an idea and i ended up winning i won the contest that was probably the first big thing that I made money. I made $500. Usually I painted gas station windows and grocery store windows at Christmas. And when I make a few bucks here and there, but you know, this was a real thing. This was something that I could show in a portfolio because my dream at that point was to go to New York. I needed to go to New York. I was already kind of freelancing. I had a shoe account that I would do newspaper ads for. And I had, I worked for Walter Landers, I freelanced for him. He was a package design guru. He had his agency in the pier of San Francisco on a ferry boat. And so all day long, you'd sit there doing stuff like this you know, because the boat is like rocking in the water, you know, and and I worked on Dixie, Dixie cups and plates and stuff. Not real exciting creative stuff, but it was real stuff that I could put into a portfolio and go to New York. Because if I was going to be in advertising, I wanted to be an advertising. I wanted to go to New York because that's where you do it. You know, San Francisco's mediocre, Chicago is better, but the Mecca is New York. And by the time I got got ready to graduate. I ended up staying an extra year. I taught a watercolor class. And in that year, I built a portfolio as best as I could with pieces that were really real, that was work that was done and put out there and not just a bunch of school projects. And because that was the only way I was going to, you know, make my way in New York. And I had never been out of California, really, you know, but I just knew that I needed to go to New York. And so, You know, it's kind of funny how all that happened because I never gave it a second thought. I mean, most of my, you know, my schoolmates that were in advertising like I was, they were very content just being there in Oakland and, you know, maybe going out to San Francisco or down, you know, away from towards Sausalito or something to get a job in an agency and, and, you know, doing menial stuff. And it just the opportunity wasn't there. You know, it just wasn't there for me. And I knew I needed to do something more. And. So a week after I graduated, I put my portfolio together. My dad built a portfolio for me that weighed about 150 pounds. And once it had all the stuff in it, it weighed over 200 pounds. And I knew that if I was going to go to New York, I could never leave it anywhere because somebody would steal it. So even when I was going to the bathroom, I had this thing that was like tugging the, you know, Noah's Ark around with all this creative in it. And, you know, it was kind of crazy. And, you know we'll, we'll talk about that later but yeah you know i just knew then that i needed to do this and in college i was really it was really kind of neat because one of the things that we would do is there was a during the time you got to remember what was happening the, the world was changing the vietnam war was happening we were a mile from the berkeley campus okay where all the riots were happening all the peace marches and stuff and as art students um, we were very much against the war, and we would do art. We would create posters and stuff, and there was this this group called the Jelly Roll Press, and most people had never heard of it, but what it was were these, these anti-war people and um, hippies that put in a huge trailer tractor, they put a printing press and a die cutter, and they had stock, and they, had, they could make their own film. They had this whole setup, and it was like today's rave parties, or actually yesterday's rave parties. I don't know whether they're still in. But you would go if you knew where the party was going to be. If you didn't know, then you didn't go. So Jelly Roll Press moved. The reason it was in that trailer was it was never in the same place twice. So the feds couldn't catch them. They couldn't, you know, they were slick, man. And so we would show up with all these pieces of artwork to give to them, and they would print them up and distribute them all over San Francisco and Oakland and wherever, you know, it was, uh, it w- that was really kind of a neat thing. And I built a couple pieces that I put in my portfolio to go to New York because, you know, California was the place. California in the 60s, that's where it was happening. Again, being a mile, my campus being a mile from Berkeley, and I would say 80% of the students that I went to school with lived in the Haight-Ashbury.
1: You know, I I just have to say... Real quick, one thing, you know, it's its very rare I'm ever going to get to say this, but you mentioned the rave parties and how they. a friend of mine, a fellow hockey dad, is going to get a kick out of this episode, number one, because you're here and he, he is a huge music and he'll appreciate your artwork, but he was also known as the rave lord, so nice. <laughs> a little nice. mention to him and a little nod to him, and uh, so he, he knows what you were going through and, and, and what you were taking part in.
2: Yeah, it's funny because, you know, uh, when uh, Ken Kesey and the Mar- the Merry Pranksters went across the U.S. turning everybody on to LSD and the hog farm was happening in the East in the East Coast, I had a client. I was a big fan of Wavy Gravy and what they were all doing and, and Ken Kesey and uh, a schoolmate of mine was making all the LSD for them to take across the <laughs> United States. He worked in a hospital. He ran a lab at Merritt Hospital, but on the side he was making LSD. And... Um, And so anyway, uh, I was I I had a client years later that we'll talk about in more detail, Panavision motion picture cameras. And I get this account and we're sitting there and, and to celebrate the account, I got a mohawk. Okay, so I'm there with a mohawk. And uh, I'm sitting in this meeting with the, the Jack Holzman, who owned Electra Records It sold it to Warner Brothers. And then they put him in charge of, of Panavision. And Panavision was in a real dilemma because um, uh, Frank Gottschalk, the guy who owned it, ran it like Studio 54. If you like if he liked you, you could rent his camera. If he didn't like you, you'd have to go somewhere else. And that got him into a real that dug him into a hole. Jack Holzman's job was to turn the company around and he called us. And we've done all this great work for Panavision for like eight years, man. I mean, and so I'm sitting in this meeting with a Mohawk and there's all these executives around the table and my partner, Tony, uh, who was normal. and, uh, (laughs) And I'm looking at this guy who's the head of their marketing. There's a guy named Andy Romanoff. And I'm like, I don't know the name, but the guy looks really familiar. Turns out that he was on the hog farm. He was Captain Gas. He, when you get the hog farm book and you open up the first page, there's Captain Gas. He's standing there with his arms on his hips oh, like he's a superhero. And he's got this <laughs> nicer tank on his back and the mask, you know, and I'm sitting there and he, and it was great. We did some amazing work for Panavision. I would put it right up there with some of the best album covers I've ever done. Wow. Panavision was, and we turned that company around and we really, Again, I don't want to give it away too much, but there are going to be a lot of stories about things other than rock and roll. Certainly, there's 250 album covers we can talk about, okay, and other campaigns that we did for a lot of the artists. But the corporate work, you know, is, to me, it's unfortunate because it doesn't get the exposure, you know, that it really deserves. Because here's the deal. The same guys that did The Doors Full Circle or Welcome to My Nightmare, were the same guys that did the work for the corporate stuff. They were the same guys. Sure. So, and people don't know that. You know, they look at one of the, I guess, most famous that came out of Pacific Ironer was Drew Struzan, the most collected illustrator in the world. He did over two hundred movie posters, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, you name the movie, he did it, and he changed the the look and feel of movie posters. Well, I gave him his start. I hired him right out of Art Center. And no that's kidding. an interesting story how yeah. he came along, you know. And yeah. we we work together. I have seventy three of his originals in wow. my collection. So you collect, you yeah.
1: collect your, some of your contemporaries, and it's, you're, you're a collector of their work as well. So.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, some of it. You know, mainly there's so much to concentrate on the stuff that I have. Like I said, I got three hundred and fifty original pieces hundred and twenty five or hundred and thirty of them are framed who've been in museum shows and I've got them in shipping crates to go, you know, wherever the show is. And I've I've had two or three gallery shows and two museum shows, it's amazing. but um, I pretty much focus on that. I have a few pieces, but mainly, I mean, my hands are full with just trying to catalog and and. You know, I'm, I'm. I sell prints and I sell artwork. Yeah, I've had yeah. Uh, three or four pieces that I've sold. It's amazing. You know what we did it for. You know what we did it for in the beginning when we when we did it. It was probably today. It's worth three hundred times that.
0: Wow, wow,
2: that's crazy. I'll tell crazy. you,
0: uh, Ernie, you, you are not shy for words for sure. <laughs> no. but, but you, <laughs> yes. you've alluded a couple of times about something that you and us here at Musicians and Beyond are going to be doing. Um, And I think it's a good time for me to tell... Now, before you do... What's that?
1: Before you do, let me just say this. You know, for the audience listening at home, they're probably wondering, okay, Musicians and Beyond, they always go... They're so used to us having musicians here and listening to music and and someone debuting a song or talking about their history in, in the music industry. So for those wondering at home what is going on here today, what we're talking about if you didn't hear it before, Ernie is the designer of the famous Rolling Stones uh, album cover, the iconic... No, not the cover. Uh, not just the cover, the tongue. Just, just the tongue. Just so, the tongue. But album cover and album work, uh, designing covers is a passion of his and it's been a big part of his career. So with that said, John's going to tell us all about something now and that'll tie in what we're doing. But it is, it still has to do with music. It's the beyond part of the musicians and beyond. It is. So, <laughs> yeah, so,
0: so Mark, he, he's done like the Bee Gees. He's done Jesus Christ Super star Aerosmith, alice cooper rolling stones all that stuff there is so much information that this gentleman has to offer he's actually a history maker he is yeah. history yeah. and he's he's very down to earth and we have talked and we are going to do a series and we are going to call it under the covers
2: I love it. With That's a great name. Er, it's
0: under the covers series with Ernie Sheffalo. So we are going to do a multi-episode series on Ernie and his stories. And I think we, we're going to do it chronologically. We're going to start when he was a kid and work our way up. And I mean, there's so much that he has. It's to a offer. hell of a story. It is. So yeah. um it's I mean,
2: even it's even weirder to live it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god people
2: ask me all the time how i remember it but you know when you live it you, and, and I, i've been very lucky because there have been a lot of high parts you know there have been a lot of a real spike parts in my life there's also been some dips and downs and you know it's really funny just real quickly here as a sidebar all of this everything that i ever became and have ever done would have never happened had I not gone to New York. When I went to New York, I, I told my girlfriend at the time, we'd lived together for a couple of years. We'd been together for six years. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> she we were living together in Oakland. I graduated. The idea was I was going to go to New York and bring it to its knees. They were going to just adore me. I was going to be like God coming down from heaven, bringing all the advertising knowledge and ability, right? So I go there, and then once I – did that. And, you know, New York, I had the key to the city, I was going to send for her and she was going to come to New York. And I, for two weeks, I looked for a job when I was in college, I lined up, I would call agencies and introduce myself, and I'm going to be coming to New York, I'd love to be able to show you a portfolio, blah, 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 and mention some things like the city of San Pablo and stuff, you know, stayed away from the uh, the art projects. <laughs> um, and All of those leads, um, after two weeks, were ran dry. And I didn't get any. I couldn't catch a cold. It was that uh, humbling. What
1: year was it when you landed in New York? It
2: was 1969. Okay. 1969. And it was the summer of 1969, right after I graduated. It was probably June, July. And uh, I remember calling, it was, it was like a Thursday night. I had already been there a whole week and coming to the Thursday, two, day, two, two days away from oh, two weeks. And I called my girlfriend, Bonnie, at the time. And I said, you know, I made a big mistake, okay? I, I, I overestimated who I was, what I value I could bring. And this city is the wrong place for me because unlike later, like junior high school, elementary school, high school, College was a little bit different because there were everybody was there for the same thing I was, pretty much. Uh, I hadn't singled myself off into advertising yet, so we were all artists looking for ourselves. And so the competition was great. When I went to New York, it was like everybody was there to compete with me, okay? I mean, the best of the best. And I didn't give that a second thought. Like I said, I never really had any fear, but maybe I should have. Maybe I should have said, Hey, you know, I'm really getting into something here that I'm not really, I haven't really thought out. I mean, this is a big thing. I didn't th- packed up my portfolio and got on a plane and went. I didn't know anybody, ended up in Brooklyn. I thought I could get on a subway. And as long as I stayed on any subway, I could get to wherever I needed to go eventually, you know. <laughs> so I ended up in some weird places, man. But it took me a while. But anyway, after that week and a half or so, I called Bonnie and I said, Look, I made a big mistake. You know, you were never really high on coming to New York anyway. Both our families are in San Jose. We can. We have a nice apartment in Oakland. I'm freelancing there. I'm sure I could get where I'm going to come home. I'm going to come back because I misjudged it. And it's like the old saying, but with a, with a spin, different spin is behind every great man is a, a great woman. It's alongside every great man is a greater woman. Because she said to me, OK, if you want to come back ahead, but I'm not going to be here when you come back. And I said, where, where are you going to be? Where are you going? She said, I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life with somebody that runs at the first sight of any kind of, you know, negative thing. Uh, you're, you're going to, you're going to run all your life. And I'm not going to spend my life with somebody like that. And I couldn't believe she was going to say, because we were madly in love, man. I mean, she was gorgeous and that's a whole nother story. But, you know, when she said that, I hung up the phone and I thought I had one more appointment on Monday, this was on a Thursday, I think it was. So all weekend I was just rehearsing in front of a mirror, you know, you know, and, and uh, it turned out that I got that job. And that job was probably the thing that turned everything around. It, it turned the music industry around for me. I never thought about music. I was a music fan. And when I was in college, we used to go hang out in front of the, on Haight-Ashbury, We'd hang out in front of the Jefferson Airplane house, you know, with all the gingerbread. We'd be getting high and, you know, all the black light stores and everybody was incense everywhere and all these hippies and stuff. And it was amazing. That's how we spent our weekends, you know, and we would go to uh, a lot of the coffee shops uh, because there was also what was going on was the hippies were coming in and taking over what the beatniks had. Okay. It was evolving and we were right there. We were right there in the heart of it, 1964, 65, 66. And we would take our sketchbooks and go to these tea, these coffee shops and, and sketch and hang out. And then, you know, the free concerts on the Berkeley campus with, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary and Richie Havens. You know, I mean, it was amazing. And all the marches, you know, People's March on uh, People's Park and stuff. I mean, we were all part of that. And it was in a very exciting time. And I guess. I mean, I guess I was swept up in the excitement of it that I didn't give a second thought to going to New York. Because had I done that, had I given it a second thought, I probably, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have done it. And if Bonnie wouldn't have said, I'm going to be gone, I would have never did anything that that I've done. Anything that we're going to be talking about in these episodes, I wouldn't have done any of that. I would have gone back to Oakland and probably, you know, I had some roommates and friends that made a career out of it. But it was always little stuff, never anything monumental. I wanted to be monumental. I wanted to do something that lived on after I'm gone. I mean, because that's really what we all want, isn't it? I mean, we want to make a mark. We want to be able to say Kilroy was here. Okay? <laughs> we want to be able to say that more than just on a headstone in a graveyard that people stop going to after yeah. generations. Yeah. I wanted to create something. And that's why I came up with that whole thing. I want to continue making history instead of becoming it. You, it's very easy to become history. Very easy. You just let go. You let go and, and you do something that's pretty big and you let go and you live on that for the rest of your life. I could it, never do that.
0: Yeah. There's so many things that you've done that have yeah. made history. I mean, you truly are a history maker.
2: Yeah. I, 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 you know, and I've come to realize that ever since I, wrote that thing about, you know, create keep on creating history instead of becoming it, I mean, it just dawned on me one night, you know, that it's really, we are. And, and, and Facebook has been really, you know, helpful in that. I, there are people that love my work, and I've never met them. I don't know who they are. I don't even know anybody that knows somebody that knows them. But they knew the work. Right. And so as long as people have ears and eyes, what I've done will live on forever, forever. And that's pretty amazing when you, you know, I mean, it's they're pretty profound. on my arm standing up when you start thinking about that kind of stuff that you've actually made a mark that's going to be here after you're gone that's pretty incredible and i've made many marks and and not coming from an ego standpoint but more of a this really happened sometimes i have to pinch myself to realize that it's really you know i was very lucky timing is everything you can have talent you can have money you can have friends you can have but if the timing isn't there it's never going to happen. In my life, as we start revealing this, you'll see how I was in the right spot at the right time with the right
1: stuff. Keep but with not- teasing it, Ernie. Uh, let me ask to keep with teasing what what we're going to be doing. What was is there a moment in time where you look back and say there was that one time that that, that launched it or set me in motion to where we were going?
2: Well, it would be Bonnie. She's my best friend and my harshest critic. Yeah, we've been together fifty six years. And she, I mean, she, if that would be it, I mean that, and then there's many of those, there's some of the album covers, the Rolling Stones stuff, 13 albums for Alice, you know, the Doors, the Bee Gees, the, the Black Sabbath, it goes on and on and on, 150 album covers. Now some people might say, well, that's not very many. You know, there are <laughs> art directors and record companies, there are creative directors and record companies that have done more than that. And I say, yeah, you know, you're right. There are people like ed thrasher and 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 you know roland young that worked in record companies the only difference is every month they were handed a release of 20 albums to do <laughs> and they would sit and they would give it to whoever they wanted to and they would just sit back and art direct it. i had to fight for every one of those covers every one every one of those and Ninety percent of the work, ninety-five percent of the work that we did at Pacific Ear was done for the artists. I worked with the artists. I didn't work with record companies. Record companies had their own art departments, and we were in competition with them. When I first started Pacific Ear in nineteen seventy-two, there were maybe three companies like Pacific Ioneer. Two of them were in L.A., and one of them was in Europe. It was uh, uh, the ones that uh, Hypnosis that did all the Pink Floyd covers and okay. stuff like that. And, you know, the difference between us and them was they were mainly photographic and we were mainly graphic because I had six illustrators on staff. And my job was to come up with the ideas and assign the project to a particular illustrator that I felt was best at doing and then ride her over it. And so those 250 album covers, there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears unlike the group that went into
1: those.
2: You know, <laughs> I'm and sure. each so. one of them each one of them has a great story. Each one of them does. The littlest and it's the weirdest thing. The littlest ones, you ask me about ones that were all sometimes the littlest ones were the biggest story. Wow. Which is cool. really weird. We cool. can't you wait know? to hear those stories. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah,
0: sure everything's nothing's Very gonna be ones. held back, Ernie. Nothing's no, gonna no. be held back.
2: We're gonna this is uh, really the only place that, you know, I do that show with Joyce, but it's not about this. You know, which I really when you guys first reached out, or I reached out to you, I think it was. And then you responded. um, It was my hope was that you would see it the way you're seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, and again, it doesn't come from an ego standpoint. It comes from, you know, I was lucky enough to surround myself with people that were much better than I was. Okay, that's the trick, The, the key. People ask me all the time, what was the key? How did you do it? I surrounded myself with people that were better than I was. And if I wasn't, I had to raise my game. Because if I didn't come back with something to them that was special and better, they would bust my chops big time. So I had to be better.
1: Ernie, real quick, how long were you in New York before you opened? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And then you went back home and opened Pacific? What
2: happened was uh, I got sent, I, I moved to New York, went to eventually after a few things. I went to work for a company that just did album cover. Uh, And they were on 53rd between Madison and Park. And at that time, this is like 1971. At that time, the music industry was really going through some changes. The sound was now coming from the West Coast. The recording studios were mainly in the West Coast. Um, And the the industry, the, the executives and the record companies, were opening up satellite offices in New York or in L.A from Chicago and New York. Motown did as well, but they always stayed in Detroit. Uh, And so the guy that we work for um, sent myself, his vice president, out to Los Angeles to open up a satellite office for him. Because what he did was he sold, at that time, record companies weren't buying packaging directly from printers. They were using brokers. And the broker would come in and buy it from the printer and sell it to the record company. So along with that, the industry was moving from a paper wrap package, paper meaning if it's a single uh, sleeve with a record in it, it had a front piece that went glued on a piece of chipboard uh, pocket wrapped around. And then there was another piece that was glued on the back. And that was what was called a paper wrap package. And it was went for between five and six cents, depending on the group and how many they ordered. The industry was moving from that to board packaging. Okay, printing directly on board, printing like a cosmetics box. Okay, and that gave the artist more ability to do die cuts and embossing and do crazy stuff like we were doing with a zipper and with a big record album that you had had all this stuff and, and the, uh, the uh, Jefferson airplane box that we did with the dope cleaning box with the Jefferson uh, long John silver. I mean, you couldn't do that with a paper wrap packet. So on top of everything else that was changing and, you know, everybody wanted to come to the West coast. The industry wanted to be here because it was cheaper and easier to do. Life was great out here. Not like New York, man. New York was brutal, (laughs) you know, (laughs) weather wise. And California was great and everybody's kind of laid back. But on the other hand, there was a lot of animosity from West Coast people toward East Coast people that were moving out to the West Coast. And it was like the country mouse and the city mouse, you know, don't use city mouse, try and come here to the country and tell me how to do my business you city slicker, (laughs) fast-moving, fast-talking, jive-ass guy, you know, and that's, so I was the perfect guy to send here because my New York accent was very minimal. I had only been there for three and a half years, and so, you know, the fact that I was from California to begin with made it a big plus as well as he needed a creative director. He needed to build an art department. So what ended up happening was his vice president of sales and myself and his head of production, Um, decided on a mescaline trip one night that we were fed up with working for him. We were fed up with the idea of going to work for somebody else because it would just end up in the same place. And we decided that we would start our own company called Pacific Ioneer. And our tagline was, our mothers always wanted us to be doctors. <laughs> so we started that way, and, you know, it was great. It was a great 14-and-a-half-year ride that we're going to have a lot of stuff to talk about.
0: Cool. Awesome. We're looking forward to it. So Pacific Air, that's your your yeah. um, that's your company. And yeah. he, our, our listeners can go to your website, and they can actually buy a lot of your products. Yeah,
2: at originalalbumcoverart.com. Are- original uh, is my merchandising site because I have all the rights to the work because all of it was done work for hire and I own the agency. It was the same reason why I didn't get credit for the Rolling Stones song or the Grand Funk's E Pluribus Funk or School's Out for Alice Cooper or uh, the Cheech and Chong Big Bamboo album that I did. I didn't get any credit for any of that. Because the guy that I worked for when we left, let's put it this way. I never got a Christmas card from him after that. Okay. So, and he didn't stay in business very much longer after that.
0: But you were the real creator.
2: I was. Yeah. I I was the creative force behind all of it. I mean, it was my forte, even though I'm an artist, I'm kind of like a half-ass artist. But when it comes to graphics, graphic design, like the Jesus Christ Superstar logo or the Rolling Stone Sun. I'm a graphic designer and I needed illustrators because that was really the industry. Music musicians and groups were really going toward doing out illustrations rather than photography. So we were in the right place at the right time. We had a staff photographer, but I had six illustrators and we did. The, I got to tell you guys like Drew Struzan, Bill Garland, Joe Garnett, Carl Ramsey, Ingrid Hinky; those people went on to become pretty major. None of them is as famous as Drew, but, you know, each one of them became a real leader in the industry that they went into. But we all started at the same time coming up together. I mean, I I didn't, I was a creative director. I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Right, Right. I just did. I just did what I felt I had to do. Come up with an idea, do some lettering, do some graphics if it's needed, but, and just direct. Gotcha. Pretty gotcha.
0: cool. So, I, I also want to give a shout out to Goldmine Magazine. Yeah, um, you have a huge, yeah, you have a huge announcement. Are you able to tell our listeners sure, what's of going course. on?
2: Yeah, if, let's uh, know what's going uh, if, on. It's going to be well. What happened was um, there was a writer named Ivor Levine who I met at a at a museum show in Forest Lawn, which is a weird museum because it's a, a rank very high in museums, but it's in a graveyard. You know, Forest Lawn is a major graveyard in Glendale, and at the top of it. As you circumambulate the graveyard and get to the top, there's this huge castle. It's a museum. And they had an album cover art show, one of which you don't see very many, because a lot of the original artwork was lost or gone or given away. I gave away probably 25 or 30 pieces, you know, I was lucky enough to keep because my partner got mad and said, we got to keep this stuff. And so I started keeping it. Um, And so, to have an album cover art show is pretty rare, and I got invited to this show, and I met Ivor, and we became friends, and he wrote a great article about the show in LA Beat, and like I said, we became friends, and he is a contributing editor to Goldmine Magazine, which is, I guess, the Bible for music collectors and music fans. It has 40,000 subscribers, and then it's there's an online version of it, and a slipcase cover. They make... 200 slipcase covers, they put the magazine into a slipcase, and they sell that shrink wrap, and collectors go crazy over yeah. that stuff, and there's only 200 of them, and so they've done, I've done, and and I kind of said a a, a real unique thing for them, because they have a great art department, and they never relinquish the cover design uh, or the layouts and stuff to anybody but their internal art department, and when they saw what we were suggesting, they said, "Oh, this is great, we're going to, so there's two different covers that we did with a similar issue one goes into a slipcase the other one goes on newsstands to subscribers and online and um, and and so there's a 20 page article about myself and Pacific pioneer and and some of the stu- and a lot of pictures of the stuff we did and for me that's really pretty amazing it's like your show this is a really great opportunity I appreciate so much and thank you guys so much for you know, be willing to do it. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, for me, it's really, it's very exciting. And this gold mine thing is just amazing because it just, Ivor put it together about three months ago and submitted it to them, to the editor and the publisher, and they loved it. And so they did How it, they could they a not? 20 page article, 20 pages. I mean, that's crazy with that all these pictures and yeah. stuff. And, you know, a lot of it, uh, I think there is some, and Ivor won't let me read it. He's, he's let me read, a couple pieces and I, and unlike usually when somebody takes our artwork and does it, they mess it all up, especially the lettering for like the Bee Gees and Alice Cooper. They, uh, they're just uh, abominations. Uh, but their art department was really good. I mean, they did, they showed me the layout, but it's so small that when I try and blow up and read it, I can't, it's all digitized. <laughs> and I did that on purpose. So I can't read it. He wants me to
1: read it. Smooth I yeah. He wants he you to buy
2: he, it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I have to, because they don't give them. He has to buy them, too. Ernie, when
1: will that come out?
2: Uh, That'll be, uh, I think, that the um, slip case cover, uh, well, one of them is dropping on the 15th, and I think that's the one on the newsstands and the subscribers. And then toward the end of the month, the slip case, the 200 (laughs) slip cases, they're all numbered and signed. And what I did was to make it even more exciting was I made 200 prints of 10 different images 20 each and numbered them and signed them one through 20 there's 10 different ones and then i have a pacific guy stamp that i put into it's like a corporate seal i put into everything i sell and i i stamped each one of them so there's 200 of them 10 each or 20 yeah 10 different ones 20 each so for collectors, that's going to really be something. And they're going yeah. to shrink wrap them on the outside of the slipcase, So you can see which ones are which instead of trying to buy 20 to get 10. Sure. You know, you can buy <laughs> the 10 you want. So, yeah, Love that's it. all going to drop. Uh, actually, we're, they're promoting that cover, which is, uh, are you familiar with Licorice Pizza, that girl with the record that's yes. smoking? Yes. Okay, I did that logo for Jim Greenwood back in the 70s. And so we they took that one and they made that a cover. By itself, so that that's the first time that's ever happened. And the other cover that goes in the slipcase has, I think, twelve different covers. And in four corners, there's the Rolling Stones tongue, the Grand Funk Railroad's "Deep Funk," licorice pizza, and then I think the Iron Butterfly. Uh, those images are circles in the corner, so that's going to be the one that goes uh, in the slipcase. So uh, yeah, it's very exciting, you know, to see something like this and getting the the. Uh, getting the word out there, you know, I mean, Goldmine, I had always been familiar with the magazine. I had heard of it. I never really bought an issue, but now I'm going to buy quite a few, you know, <laughs> of course you are. I got a good customer. I mean, to buy them all, you know, but uh, anyway, yeah. So that's, that's going to be happening. And we can talk about that as it, it evolves. And I can also send you some images if you want of the covers. I have the one with the girl with the record and that one's great because, because it's the cover and it, something like i'm paraphrasing serving up hot hot uh album cover art or something and then ernie shell my name's on it with a thing and you know it's just really it's very fulfilling to see that kind of thing because it's it's taken me i i mentioned to you guys i was a late bloomer on the internet and a lot of people have taken credit i found that people because there was never really a credit for me on anything that we ever did it was always Pacific Ironer because I I was a firm believer, and I guess that comes from the marketing guy uh, that we promote the brand instead of the individual. The illustrators and photographers always got credit, but I never put my name on anything. Okay, it was Pacific Ironer. So as I started getting into the internet, I would go and Google an album cover, and I would see you know Pacific Ironer, but then I as a creative director, some guy I never even heard of. And there are people that go around and find situations like that and put their name in Holy and God. just do it. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's kind of nuts. But, you know, and I've caught a couple of them and got them to change it. But, you know, it's really weird how people will take credit for something they didn't do. Yeah, sad. I, I, You know, I paid that price when I left the guy that I worked for in startups to the guy in here. I knew that when I walked away from that company, that all those things that I had done, all those things that everybody was talking about, a short of Jesus Christ Superstar, because I did that before I went there. Right. Um, I would never get credit for it. You know, well, so, me- but over the years, over the years I've gotten it. Thanks to guys like you and other people that have you posted it and reposted it and and I've actually had people say, Oh man, you're lying. You never did that. You never you never did that. And I'd say, that was really weird, man, because when I was in the art department doing it, I looked around. I didn't see you there. (laughs) What the hell are you talking about? You listen to something somebody else said or you want to hear it from the horse's mouth? I lived it. What we're going to be talking about is that, without, again, minus the ego. It's about my life and how I lived it.
0: Yeah. Well, we can't can't wait to be a part of telling that story. I mean, totally legendary.
1: Let, let, I let never me just really say, looked at
2: it that way but
1: never did when we started out this episode we talked about this being a teaser into you know where we were going to go with the, the, the series that's going to come up and talk about where where you went in music where you went in advertising um, what we're going to be doing with under the cover series with earning uh, I can't wait for our audience and for the world to hear about this because this is a teaser should have our audience chomping at the bit for the next episode so we're You're looking forward to, to that we're looking forward to that <laughs>
0: yeah yeah, looking for. Okay.
1: This is going to be a fun thing to do. It's going to be a fun project to work on. I can't wait for the release of the magazine article. For, uh, that's going to be thrilling uh, for our audience to read and learn a little bit more about you. But I hope over the uh, the course of the uh, episodes we do together, um, people really, really get to see the genius behind what you've done over your lifetime.
2: Yeah. I, mean, I don't know about that, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm very excited about it. You guys are giving me a great opportunity, and I believe me, I, I won't come up short for you. I there's plenty of stories. Uh, you know, we're, even we're That's what we like. We want to hear the backstage. Well, that was one of the things when when I was with Ivor and he was putting together this magazine. It's very, very secretive. And he'd say, you know, give me stuff that nobody's ever heard of or nobody's ever seen. And I said, you know, or why did you post that? Because that could have gone on. I said, you know, every story that I tell you, there's at least three or four or more stories that I'm not telling you about that same thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, because I lived it every day, and every day was it. You know, I mean, is every day the same for you when you get up? It's always crazy, you know, or it's good. Or that, that's what it I hope out for. Good and goes crazy, or starts out crazy and goes good. So every day is kind of like a unique opportunity to start all over again and and record it. And I've been lucky enough to you know still remember it. Yeah. You know, I mean. <laughs> Most people say, you know, uh, going through art school and all the drugs and, you know, <laughs> your life and all the drugs. And, you know, it was all part of the process for me. Yeah. You know, uh, some people, I mean, it's like anything else. You know, some people can do something and it, it does them good. Some people can do the same thing and it does them bad. I've just been very blessed. I, I, I never swayed from when I was a kid drawing Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck to what I wanted to do. You know, That's I awesome. always knew I had something special. And like I said, Sister Mary Lucidy, you know, she saw it. You know, Mark Briggs saw it. You know, I had a couple of teachers in college that saw it. It was pretty amazing. But, you know, the the, the main thing was, you know, just being in the right spot at the right time and having no fear. Yeah. Having yeah. no fear to go there. You know,
0: you you have so many stories and history and everything to share with us. We can't wait to uh let the people of the world hear what's going on with our, you know, when our new series under the covers with Ernie Sheffalo comes out.
1: With all of the successes you've had in the course of your career, do you ever look back and is there one storefront window that, that, that you're very, very proud
2: of? My wife without Bonnie, I would have never done the, the, anything. Wow. So, so that's funny. And she'll we, be the first one to tell you. <laughs> she'll be the first one to tell you, too. You know? earlier, no, she, earlier
1: in the episode, you, you talked about, you know, I, I had this girlfriend. She told me if, if, if I did this, she was going to be gone. I think we all assumed that you had broken up. You've been together for yeah. the,
2: all this time. Good 56 years, yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. wonderful. Yeah, October was 56 years.
0: Well, it sounds uh, like you guys are, are best friends.
2: She's great. We're the best friends. We're great lovers. She's my biggest critic, my harshest critic. And you gotta have that. You, have, to have that fan. you awesome. gotta have it You gotta have that voice of reality and, and you know coming in You know because it's so easy to slip away And just block it all off And we've always you know even though We've had our arguments like everybody does We've never swayed away from She is the best thing that ever happened to me She feels the same way about me And we just have this great relationship That's Ladies
1: and gentlemen boys and girls listening at home I hope you are as excited as I am For this series that we're going to be doing and it's, I am too <laughs> uh, well, it, it's going to be very very uh, exciting it's going to be very creative it's going to explore a lot more than um, what we're accustomed to what we're used to and I'm looking forward to that Ernie Sheffalo, thank you for being our guest today and yeah. thank you for being thank our you. friend here yeah,
0: thank,
2: thank you very you much for was... giving us the opportunity I'm really really very humbled it was thank really
0: you. our honor to have you on thanks again
2: no